Good day. I'm Ronaldo McKenzie, and welcome to another episode of the Neoliberal Round podcast. Today, we will be discussing the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith, privilege and position. Again, today on the Neoliberal Round podcast, we discuss the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith, privilege and position. But before we get into the topic for today, there is a lot that is happening at the Neoliberal Corporation or the Neoliberal Round. Just so you know, we have a new home. It's no longer the Neoliberal.com, but we are now located at RonaldoCMackenzie.com. Again, the Neoliberal Round has a new home. It is a new website. It is RonaldoCMackenzie.com. And you can also access the Neoliberal Round podcast by going to the Neoliberal Round dot wordpress dot com. And we are available and can be accessed on all major podcast stream, including Anchor, which is our home podcast platform, and also Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google, and several other major podcast platform. And if you go to RonaldoCMackenzie.com, I just want to let you know that there is a lot of content on this website and we still have to incorporate a lot of the content that we lost with our sister website, TheNeoLibro.com, that we are going to incorporate into this website since we have had several contributions and several articles and posts that several of you have uh, contributed to the website. So we are going to incorporate that and put that into this website, the RonaldoCMcKenzie.com. But if you go to the website right now, it is up and running. It looks fresh. It looks, uh, it's a great, it's a major improvement and a step up from the, the previous website. And we have uh, several links and opportunities opportunities for you to engage uh, the posts, the articles, and several of the resources that we have on file, that we have on the website. We still have several menus and pages that we need to add to the website so that you can access uh, resources and tools. But we will talk some more about what we are doing and how you can get involved in the Neoliberal Round podcast or you can get get involved in the Neoliberal Corporation and what we are doing. And just so you know, uh, sometimes uh, today, today, I actually was um, promoting my the neoliberal corporation and uh, and to- and on and sharing the what we are doing here at the neoliberal and the new the, the new website. And somebody responded saying, "I mean, there are absolutely neoliberals out there. There are absolutely neoliberals out there who follow that line of political thought." I just happen to think those are some of the dumbest, fake, smart guys around. I just happen to think those are some of the dumbest, fake, smart guys around. So I actually did respond to this particular person who responded to a, a, a post that I was moderating on, on a Reddit feed or Reddit thread. And uh, I responded with a laugh out loud emoji icon. And I responded by saying, what's in a name? Kohito Iagusam, your reality is your reality. But don't impose an idea discovered in your reality. Only perspective, only provide a perspective for common understanding and, 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 and connection 
For what is the ultimate of all things? That we become one with reality in all our individuality. A man said once, you label me, you negate me. A man said, once you label me, you negate me and that's Kierkegaard. Maybe you should begin by asking what's in a name, for names can be misleading. Now, and just so you know, I am not a neoliberal, although I, my, my company goes by the name the neoliberal or the neoliberal corporation and, and several feeds, news feeds that we utilize here is the neoliberal, but the neoliberal is actually comes from, a, from Greek, or comes to us from Greek, which is neo, which means new, and liberal, which means free. Okay, it's in its in, in the in its simplistic terms, neoliberal means new free, or it is, or uh, so in in a sense, it would suggest it is a new principle, a new position. Okay, but and that is what neoliberal is. It's, it's a it's and and liberalism. And when we talk about liberalism, it's the opening an economic. When we talk about it in a, in, a, in an economic perspective, we're talking about opening up markets. Open up, opening up economies, freeing up the world, freeing up the nations. Okay, in other words, so that so that borders can be penetrated, so that globalization can take place, so that uh, goods and services can can cross borders with with much ease. But but we say neoliberal to suggest. It's a, it's, a, it's a new kind of strategy because, you know, say, for example, economic strategy. We talk about strategy. So when, I, when we talk about and when I utilize the name neoliberal, I am just, it's just a name which is suggest and neoliberal is suggesting a strategy, a new strategy, a new way of penetrating the world, a new way of constructing the world, a new way of where, some pe- where the, the power brokers in society can take advantage of this particular principle to advance a particular advantage in the world. So neoliberalism or the idea of neoliberal, we're here. I'm not saying that I am promoting, but I I am promoting a particular strategy over another. I am just here suggesting that the neoliberal is is about power. It's about looking at power. It's about studying power. It's about studying the dynamics in society and unearthing, unearthing, the ways and uncovering the ways in which society strategically is strategically organized so as to advance a particular behavior and last in the last podcast we we were, we taught we carried a story and we also published a, uh, in a several of our, our, our news feeds through linkedin the neoliberal commentary also on Ronaldo C. McKenzie.blogspot.com, the neoliberal blogspot, and also in in our in other several of our other news feeds, we talked about uh, race being a pseudoscience. It's based on a pseudoscience which was discovered because it was on the fringes. In other words, it wasn't part of of academic academia. It wasn't accepted as science until it was discovered as a useful tool. To help to augment, or, or okay, or to expand a particular strategy of dominance in the world, of privilege, of position, of gain. So when we talk about neoliberal, I, I it's very important. And when and when people and and when things and just so you know, name are technical are technical stuff. 
a name what's in the name it's names and certain words are technical so it is important for you to know to delve into it to to try and and that's the beauty about name you don't know what's in a name you have to discover it so when someone reveals their names to you then what is the, the beauty about it it leads to the next question okay what's in that name to what, what what does that what does that name speak about but as as human being we have a tendency to formulate opinions and assumptions by taglines and headings and we have to now be able to get deeper than that especially in a twitter world where things are communicated in three characters but we know that metaphysically there is more communicating there's more that is being said and communication is to make popular what was the monopoly and and there and and there and there and and so it's important for us to understand when we talk about neoliberal the neoliberal or the neoliberal we're talking about uh we're talking about uh, a uh, a way a way in which a way in which the world is 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 organized and as a corporation and as and as individuals and as a member of society and so, and as someone who has been provided with certain opportunities and who have certain investments and talents to be able to analyze then as they were near liberal suggest a strategy it's so a name what in a strategy it provides an opportunity now for me to talk about strategy for us to talk about what to talk the dynamics of society and of course when we talk about the near liberal the near liberal is serving the world today to solve tomorrow's challenges we go by that tagline serving the world today so we are serving the world i am serving the world today to solve tomorrow's challenges and 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 of course today's today's discussion we're going to be talking about the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith privilege and position and the comments that are made here and the discussions that are not, are made here are not any discussion that's made it aren't concrete discussions aren't normative or 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 it's not the rule of law or the rule of thumb but there are perspectives that we can learn from and that we can utilize as well in our everyday lives because as human beings there is much for us to learn from and as we said in a recent episode when we talk about reality and the ability to 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 discern reality is that the most profound realization from Descartes was cogito ergo sum where he came to the understanding that you know when you start to doubt everything in an attempt to arrive at truth then you will discover that there is something as human beings with giving all our limitations there's something that we cannot deny and we cannot abandon as not true it is the mind that is thinking to begin from a place of not truth so there is the mind that it, that so the only thing we are aware of is our own mind and the, and it is only by delving into the minds of others that we can come away with an understanding of their reality so we are, we do not privilege a particular perspective except one that encourages diversity 
one that encourages variety. And if you go to our, and I'm, and I am going to invite you all to visit RonaldoCMcKenzie.com. We have a staple of, of, of content for you, of material. We have, and we are always talking about again about power and about privilege and so on. And we are going to be delving into this discussion a little bit more as we start when we look at strategy and look at society and how we can improve as a as a as a people. So we have an exciting, exciting uh, episode lined up for you, and we hope that you will invite your friends again and visit my website. If you visit Ronaldo C. McKenzie, you will find several different, uh, several different ways in which you can, you can interact with the website. And um, I'm actually on the website right now. We have, there is a tab called uh, Book Reviews. There is a tab called where, where the neoliberal, neoliberalism, globalization, income inequality, poverty and resistance is reviewed. And there is uh, also another tab, and that tab is called the Neoliberal Post, where all our posts are posted up. And just so you know, um, if you, the, the Neoliberal Post is, is a medium that we use to discuss current historical and philosophical affairs. And however, the difference about the Neoliberal Post here at RenaldoCMcKenzie.com, which differs from the Neoliberal Blogger and the Neoliberal Commentary, is that the neoliberal post provides an opportunity for you to not only read the the posts and the articles and the commentary, but we also provide a platform here and a space for all to share and submit their articles and blogs, which will be featured right here in the neoliberal post. So we, I invite you to to do to to uh, to sub, to visit the page and to share your feedback and to connect with us and to subscribe. And just so you know, we do, it's not a subscription. There is no, it's free to subscribe. We also have a client portal, which will be attached to the resources that will be, which will, will, which will be available. You will be able to uh, access uh, a myriad and a plethora of resources academic resources, self-help tools, so on and so forth. There's also a contact page, an events page. And just so you know, we have two events coming up and I'm clicking on the events page right now. We have two events. One, we're going to be on, we're going to be live on Germantown Radio, Germantown Radio in Germantown, Philadelphia on Friday, April 1, 92.9. And that's going to be at 7 Friday, April 1, and that's going to be at 7 a.m. And I think I'm just noticing an error on the website. I have Friday, April 2 at 7 a.m., but it's Friday, April 1. You can join us online, 92.9, or on the airwaves. Or you can also you can also participate in our book signing. There's a book signing that we're having, book signing and reading, on April 2nd, Saturday, Saturday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And at 12 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, we will be doing the reading by the author with yours truly. And we have a link on Facebook that you can actually participate in the event. You can indicate you'll participate. Or you can go to RonaldoCMcKenzie.com and you can also uh, access links to how you can participate as well. And if you peruse to, we also have a podcast page where you can access our our podcast and the latest podcast with a private privacy policy page we have and we also have our homepage which we call welcome to the neoliberal 
we have several other pages that we will be adding. So continue to con- to support us. And we are looking forward to the journey and that's ahead of us. We, we, we'll be, we are hoping to have Raul Castro on the show. We'll be doing a, uh, he reached out. I reached, he reached out to me. He connected with me and I was more than happy to connect with him. And uh, I actually sent him an email or a Twitter message this morning directly asking him if he would consider being on the show so that we can do an interview. And uh, he has indicated that he will be on the show and we are looking forward to that. Now, Raul Castro or John Castro is the 2024 presidential candidate, the 2024 presidential candidate, John Castro. He will be joining us and uh, on this show and we will be telling you about that some more. Just continue to follow us. So, and we also are hoping to land other interviews with important people who we can learn from as we, as we seek to provide perspectives for all of us to develop catharsis and to augment our lives. So, we are about to now get into the topic for today, which is the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith, privilege and position. And just so you know, we also, we also released an, uh, another, a fresh new post, our newest post that we released. You can go to renaldocmckenzie.blogspot.com or you can go to renaldocmckenzie.com and go to the neoliberal post. And we actually have a new post that we just added, a new article. It's called, I'm very, I am, I'm very happy Carrie will be on the basketball court, but he's no hero. And that's from Stephen A. Smith. Again, Stephen A. Smith on his show, First Take, ESPN on First Take, in, said that I'm very happy Kyrie Irving will be on the basketball court, but he's no hero. And we want to talk about, we're going, we're going to be talking about that, not on this podcast, but right after this podcast episode, we will do another po- podcast sometime tomorrow. We will, we, will, we will play this video, play the video, an excerpt, which is two minutes, and, and discuss, discuss his statements. So here we are. The, and let's, so let's delve now into the topic for today, which is the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith, privilege and position. Welcome back to the Neoliberal Round Podcast. Today we discuss the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith. Again, today we discuss the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith, privilege and position. Recently, I published a commentary entitled Putin's Latest Speech 
March 16, 2022. He reveals his mind. I delved into it in a previous post on a podcast episode, lifting up some very important points and highlighted red flags and signal a warning for us and the world. You can actually watch Putin's esoteric speech via my YouTube channel and I unearth for you where I unearth for you what he's really saying and send a warning. Now, we had promised that we would situate these discussions about this speech in the wider discussion about Orientalism and Occidentalism and even broader to add the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith. In retrospect, in retrospect, I had asserted that Putin believes the West thinks it's of a higher caste and is not to be trusted for they only use peoples and treat them as expendables. He justifies genocide or murder or killing Ukrainians or the killing of Ukrainians on those who side with the West as a and and those who side with the West. Again, he justifies genocide or murder or the killing of Ukrainians and those who side with the West as a purification mechanism to strengthen Russia, all of Russia, including the former Soviet countries. In this speech, in, in this speech, he reveals his true nations, his true intentions to unite all of Russia by cutting down and cutting off those who side with the West and believe that Western values about, example, gender equality are better than Russians' position on gender equality. In the speech, I said that according to Putin, you can be for gender equality, but don't force it on us. Don't believe that it's better than our position that puts men and women in their proper place. I went on to say that indeed, Putin believes that the West assumes that its progressive or democratic or slavish ways of life are better are better and that this makes their society better than Russia. He believes the former USSR countries have lost their way and are adopting Western ways at the expense of Russia and in order to save and preserve Mother Russia and its children from departing from that which is truly Russian, we must spew them out, even if it means war. Now, this is extremism, I had said, the kind of extremism that seems to be growing everywhere. And I had said that it was just recently where it, was, where it happened here in the U.S. when white extremists marched to the U.S. Capitol, who many believe were under the influence and motivation of some political leaders to stop the VP from Vice President Pence, that is, from certifying the U.S., the 2020 U.S. presidential elections which is a democratic process here in the U.S. In fact, I had indicated that I was doing research as an interviewer for SRBI in 2009, exploring Americans' feelings, uh, Americans feelings about a prediction that by 2020 or 2025, the minority would form the majority and the majority would form the minority demographically. 
Now, the findings reveal that most white Americans who identified as Republicans or conservatives were mostly concerned about this change in dynamics and even questioned what the country would look like and toyed with with an image of Afghanistan, South Africa, Somalia, and some third world unstable impoverished country. And And just so you know, we don't use the word third world anymore. We use the word global south. But in 2009 and 10, uh, people were, were concerned that the minority would become part of their majority and then the country would look like a third world impoverished country. That, that, that was the, the feeling, that was the reaction and the, the, and the, and the, the discussions and, and what people were saying at the time. Now, so this is the kind, now, I, I lift up that story just to let you know that this is the kind of prejudices we have especially when we make society about race that continues to breathe extremism. But we have argued that race is a human conception discovered discovered and accepted as science to provide the basis for a strategy to create a slave system. And of course, you may access the rest of that article in last week's commentary in LinkedIn, the neoliberal commentary, or you can access it at, by, by uh, uh, going on another podcast, uh, going on the neoliberal round podcast, either through Anchor or Spotify, or Apple Podcast, Google, and so on and so forth. Further, further, I must add that Putin is being duplicitous and hypocritical when he says others believe their ways are better while he says the West, the West believes that it, it's of a higher caste. But I'm here saying, as I had outlined in a previous article, that he's been duplicitous and hypocritical because he's forcing his way as the way for all Russia to follow, prejudicing a way of life and expecting all to subscribe to that or be killed. Further, as I, I had argued that one may position or pose it that once it was the way of life, but when a way of life or a taboo is no longer a taboo and now accepted as part of the new way of life, then there is a backlash from the status quo. And I had argued that Putin's efforts, according to his speech, is saving Russian values. That is, he's, he believes that he is justified because he's saving Russia's or Russian values, ideologies and ideologies and lifestyle, which is actually the old, holding on to a past, quickly leaving them. Russian conservative traditional values must be protected at, at all costs. And that is the justification here. But that is when you have a society that is based, that is divided, that is based on categories that is based on certain groupings that a particular group privilege over the other. And then it breeds suspicion and extremism because it, that's the kind of... When, when, when we have a society based on race, that is why you, one can justify the, the kind of attack on the, cap, on the U.S. capital by, Ameri- by law-abiding Americans who believe the law does not apply when their values when their identity as a race and, 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 and the way in which they want that particular identity, identity to be exacted in the world. So that is what happened when 
when we, we feed and we condition humanity to, be, to think in terms of race and all the applications and so on, it's always how do you identify? And, and if you study psychology, psychology... Okay, welcome back. So we were making a point about psychology, about learning, and about language, and about this theory of conditioning a particular idea, a particular behavior, to think race, to think in terms of race, is dangerous. And we said that if you study psychology, psychology talks, has, talks about the ways in which human beings learn or species and various species of beings learn we and psychology talks about this condition this conditioning of behavior and and i am saying that we continue to condition a particular behavior through various means through policy and so on which 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 tells people to identify as a particular race and this and this continued to breed this division because if there was if we weren't a people of race and we were, were and we identified as a one set of people we wouldn't have the kind of situation that happened in january but when we think in terms of race it's easy it it provides a, a fuel it provides fuel for the fire in a sense it's wood chips that you can, okay. It's wood. It's wood chips. It's fuel for the fire. It can. You can. It's. It's easy for people to utilize race because now you can put peop, other people against each other. Now, please remember, we're talking about a very important point here: the the hegemony of faith. We're talking. We're we're talking about the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith. But we are beginning. This discussion by lifting up what is going on in society today and looking at how the very foundation of the very our very the from the very foundations of society up to today seem to be seem to condition a kind of knowledge. That creates privilege and position in the world. So, the kind of privilege, and, and we're saying that Putin's efforts, according to his speech, is, is that he's saving Russian values, ideologies, and lifestyle, which is actually the old, it's, it's, which is he's holding on to the past. Russian conservative traditional values. But this kind of privilege and suspicion of the other, exemplified in Putin's motivations, is evident not only in politics, but is the foundation of almost all major religions of the world. And religion or faith has provided the legacy, the legacy of privilege, position, hegemony, dominance, and wars 
such as the Crusades and suicide bombings. Even as I explore the secrets to unlocking divine intervention, one must be careful that this discovery is not presented or accepted as the ideal or better theology, but a perspective in reality from a subjective experience that may facilitate catharsis or some broadened understanding or practice that may aid or support the dynamics and challenges of life. And that is what is important for us. That is the takeaway here. For when and if we've connected with God, we shouldn't privilege that personal realization steeped in human prejudice or personal interpretation of that revelation, which was probably meant for me and my divine connection. Yet we have sought to universalize a brand of intervention as if to proselytize or to create franchises instead of providing a perspective that may help to inspire and advance a human soul and preserve life. For if life is to be preserved, then at times an intervention that is divine may suffice to appease that divine goal of life and the enjoyment it brings the gods. Now, if truth be told, we have universalized a brand of divine intervention so as to continue to assert our hegemony, which, is, which we have pointed out earlier, this idea of race and this idea of Mother Russia and Russian values. And, but, but this is not new. The beginnings of Christianity and the birthification of Judaism into Jews for Jesus and Jews not for Jesus created a situation where these positions jostle and hustle for, po for positions that privilege themselves and beliefs over others. When you study the foundations and evolution of knowledge up to the patristic traditions and beyond, you see how these branches utilized interpretive methods so as to assert their positions and Romanized Christianity, yes, which provided a victory for Jews, not for Jesus, the Jews, that Jews, not for Jesus, because that's, that's who the, they were Jews, not for Jesus before we were Christians. Let me make that point again. When you study the foundations and evolution of knowledge up to the patristic traditions and beyond, you see how these branches utilize the interpretive methods so as to assert their positions and Romanized Christianity, which provided a victory, a victory for Jews, not for Jesus, for Christians, who at that point repositioned themselves and started their hegemony and growth over the world. We will delve into these fully as I develop my final paper that looks at the development of privilege and position. But, you know, say for example, I have always said that I am, I identify as a Christian since if we are to, since we're in a sense that not, not that I want to privilege that, but I identify as a Judeo-Christian because I grew up within a Judeo-Christian context. If, okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that my experience within that context exceeds any other person's experience of reality or faith. So I grew up within the Judeo-Christian reality. 
Now that Judeo-Christian reality, okay, and I see and I see the experience of faith as a way that people can connect and make sense of the divine or a reality that is beyond them. And my de- definition of God is than that which nothing greater can be conceived or imagined, because we are limited, and the divine or that which is God or that which is ultimate transcends us, is beyond us. So we we still haven't yet understand we cannot understand or come or come to comprehend the vast universe okay so so we cannot develop any kind of concretized position about faith or position about anything and we are okay and so we have limitations of 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 truth because we are limited so i have said that you know i do not i i i i I am a Christian in the sense that I, that is the lens I use to connect with, with faith and matters of reality. And probably I also use it. Now, and when I say connect, I am also using it to draw comparisons. You make comparisons between things as you develop an understanding of all things. Yes. That as you develop an understanding of all things, of all things. But when, when you have a faith, a Christian faith that has within the canon of scripture that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, no man coming to the Father except through Jesus. And you, in a sense, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ in order to be engrafted within the Christian faith and in order to be saved within some particular Christian because now you have also denominational differences within the religion of Christianity okay in terms of because they also disagree in terms of how what this connection look like but oh, but in terms of the, the the orthodox of Christianity the protestantism and, and catholicism the Christ Jesus the Christ is essential is important and he's the only way. And, and so they privilege a particular access to God. If you don't act, if you do not serve or accept the ideology of Jesus, then you are going to hell. If you don't accept the ideology of Jesus is the Christ, then you don't have access to God. And you are, and you are demons, you are devils, you are evil, you are sinful. Now, that is the theology that of salvation that many people prescribe to and as someone who prescribe or subscribe to the Judeo-Christian faith that is something I take exception to I do not subscribe to that particular ideology I believe that is an unfortunate addition to an to an amazing story about 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 religion and faith it's because the bible is a quite an, it's a very the christian bible is a very interesting book and tool it is very useful but when it begins to when it start to privilege a particular way over other then you're already seeing if you study history you already see if you look at the bible and the context within which the bible was developed and how and what formulated the canon there is there was a major competition going on in the world between the dominant dominant faith dominant faith for the dom, for the, for dom, for ex, who would be the exceptional faith and so the bible is even if you read the, some of the scriptures and various religious writings you find within those writings a way in which human beings try to privilege 
a particular position so that their faith, so that their, the Christian faith or the Jewish faith can stand out over the other as human beings race to assert their dominance in the world. So even within religion, even religion which is supposed to be pure, even religion, you find this this kind of selfish desire for position and for privilege and for status. So as we think about these matters and examine the foundations of religion, we see the, the, the polishing or incorporation of Socratic And, you know, I shouldn't say as we think, I would say furthermore, furthermore, furthermore. As we think about these matters and examine the foundations of religion, we see the the polishing or incorporation of Socratic, Platonic philosophy regarding piety and philosophical preparation to achieve eternal life within the development of Western foundations of religion. And... When, and by the way, if you go on the RonaldoCMcKenzie.com website and you go to the, the Welcome to the Neoliberal page, at the bottom of that page, you will see a featured paper. It's a 40-page paper that I have, that, that actually, it's a 40-page paper, but you actually, it's a link. You, you, you hover over that and you click on the heading and it takes you to the paper, which is actually in my rmckenzie.academia.edu academic website where I flesh out I flesh out a dissertation I'm doing about these things and it was part formally it was part of a final paper at in the in the Doctor of Liberal Studies program at Georgetown University and I talk about uh, Socrates and Plato and Plato's philosophy and so on and so forth so so I don't know if I'll have time to delve into this, but this is, in, this is deep right here. This is very important that we delve into this. So we said, so as we think about these matters and examine the foundation of religion, we see the polishing or incorporation of Socratic Platonic philosophy regarding piety and philosophical preparation to achieve eternal life within the development of Western foundations of religion. Because if you, if you, study, if you study this understanding of, of death, and you see where for the philosopher, and this is coming from Socratic Platonic philosophy, for the, for, for the philosopher, for the philosopher, philosophy is important because it leads you to, 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 it prepares you for death. And death is the highest thing that one can achieve, just so you know. Um, and, you know, that's for another discussion. And I actually talked about death and dying in one of my blogs. But, but, but this is important to understand that this idea, before we start thinking about Jews for Jesus and Jews not for Jesus in the ways we think about them today, we need to understand in the Socratic Platonic philosophy regarding piety and the, philosophy, the, philosophy, and the philosophical preparation to achieve eternal life, we're saying that that particular philosophy, that particular idea, ideology is also contained within the foundation of of the christian faith and even within many of the western 
Western religions. So why the Jews look for a hero that is like that of the Greeks? Okay? While the Jews, the Jews look for a hero that is like that of the Greeks, which is Achilles, 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 those of the messianic persuasion, we're talking about those, the Jews, uh, uh, that, those who are of the, messian, the messianic persuasion, not the Jews, Jews for Jesus, the Jews for Jesus we're talking about. Those from, so while the, and this is, and you know, I'm taking my time here. Let me repeat this again. While the Jews look for a hero that is like that of the Greeks, Achilles, those of the Messianic persuasion saw their hero as Jesus, who is the Christ and who dies to save the day. You can see the traditions of Greek philosophy mixed elaborately elaborately within christianity Christ, within the christian traditions as the as the early fathers attempted to promote a religion that was better than the others and the fathers the, the early fathers were selective ensuring that the traditions and literature that would all but ensure the hegemony of christianity was included in the canon of scripture which we now refer to as the holy bible that was non-existent in the patristic and early and the early part of the medieval period. And we had said in a previous episode that uh, St. Augustine confession, St. Augustine, if you study St. Augustine, and I had a chance to, 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 to study St. Augustine and his life, and St. Augustine confessions, when he developed those confessions, they weren't not part of they weren't part of the, 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 the principles and the, and the theology in the, in the, within the, 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 the pre-formative years of Christianity. The, the church fathers who were responsible for developing the faith, the Christian faith, discovered St. Augustine, Augustine as, he moved, uh, as he moved from one part of Rome to the next. And they discovered his writing. And they found and it's wait. These confessions are useful. This is this is some of the things I want. Oh, we have to inc- we have to incorporate this into the into into the to the doctrine of the into the into the into the into the theology and the principles of the church. And eventually, and and, and earlier I said to you, the the idea of race, the theory of race was discovered just like that. When it the, the theory of race was a concept that was developed. And it was on the back shelf of academia. It wasn't important. Nobody thought that, that, that a biology or a science that break up human beings in races was, was, was relevant. It was fake news. It was fake. Until they started, they thought about doing the slave trade. And, and in doing the slave trade, they, have to, they had to be able to justify wanting to... to, to to take a set of people from Africa and use them in the way that they did, in the heinous, in, as, as lives, treat them as, as livestock. And I'm saying to you that the elites, the monarchs, the nobles, the people who form the, 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 the top brass of society in the 16th and the 1700s, the nobles and the, the rich merchants and so on and so forth, and they, they could not sell this to a, a civil society based on religion and laws. So they had to, so the theory was very salacious. 
and it was discovered and it became accepted and it became part of science and we're okay and so we're looking at how things become part of how things become entrenched in society so that this is important to understand so when we look at saint augustine as well and look at the his his confessions these confessions you may we may want to believe is sacred but they could be based in a they are personal to him and he developed these, these confessions and they were enveloped in the christian faith because they were the early fathers saw that oh this is this is good here is another another theory that that is useful that we can utilize to make to make our our faith exceptional our faith stand out as we compete with the other religions of the world similarly similarly muhammad who was given the revelation of allah contained in the quran in about 622 ce as a way to fix the errors of faith contained in other traditions such as Christianity and Judaism. Let me repeat that again. Muhammad believed that he was given the revelation of Allah that is now contained in the Quran in about 622 CE as a way to fix the errors of faith contained in other traditions such as Christianity and Judaism. Muhammad was supposed to be the conduit of all truth and all should come under the house of Allah. Privilege and power and hegemony continues here and no faith when you examine their foundations seem to be untouched by this prejudice and hegemonic uh, this uh, hegemonic and, and hegemony based on their positions which provided a basis for war and countless human conflicts. and discrimination justified in the foundation of knowledge riddled with privilege and bias that promotes their exceptionalism so even in so even even in the quran even with even with uh, uh, the muslim faith and i'm saying to you almost all religions all faith almost seem to be touched by this privilege and this prejudice and this this hegemony based on their positions and it provides a basis for war and countless human conflicts and discrimination in the world the dynamics of humanity is what creates problems and challenges in the world and when i said to you the neoliberal corporation the company i started is called which is a think tank and a publishing and a social media company The, the neoliberal we go by the we go by the tagline serving the world today to solve tomorrow's challenges and if you look at much of our writing most of our writing look you delve into our our commentaries and our and our podcasts and our and our feeds and so on we are always talking about issues that relates right back to the dynamics of human society because you know what life is about life is about people and how people communicate Life is about people and how people relate. Life, life on earth is about people. Let me tell you, what I'm saying to you now, you know, it's, I, 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 I didn't come up with that idea. I read that when I was 14 years old. I was reading a book about communication because I saw, I, I wasn't impressed with my ability to write. 
and to communicate. I wanted to, imp- I was not happy with it. And I, when I was growing up, I read Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. I was, a, I was, a, I was an ardent reader and I was spelling B champion and so on. I was, but, I, but before, I was not impressed, impressed with, with, with where I was. And I read that particular understanding about life. I was reading about communication. And, it, and the definition of communication which is now, if you, if you look at my signature when I send an email, it says, communication is to make popular what was the, is to make popular what was the monopoly. Communication is to make popular what was the monopoly. Any information that you have, you have monopoly over it in a sense. If you haven't shared it with somebody else. When you share that information, people are, as I say to you, we are all different. We come from different perspectives and reality. Okay. But we share information. People, we are always sharing information. Okay? And that, guess what? That is also, and not only sharing information with each other, it's also across the world. That's globalization. Life is about people and how we relate. And so, when you look in terms of our goods and our services and our products and how we live and in terms of the conversations we have, everything in terms of, if you look at this, the, from the, the early economic system, economic structure and activity of society in terms of the barter system, this, the exchange between, between peoples, exchanges between peoples are vital for life to continue and for life to take place. But when you have people privileging a particular perspective, a, a particular kind of life, then it creates problems and challenges for society and for the world. It creates setbacks, such as World War I and World War II and what's going on in U- Ukraine. And, okay, and even, and some people may even, and, they, and actually I was reading an article some time ago where some people believe that slavery was necessary because if we never had slavery, the world would not have, would probably never be, would not have, had the, we would not have had the kind of advances in the world today if we never had a kind of large labor force that was able to provide the kind of large the kind of labor that was necessary to mass produce and to supply and to create a market and you know and it the world exploded so in a sense you know from the in the world with with the sugar with sugar and, and with sugar and 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 this kind of the slave trade and, and and trading between that goes from Africa and the Caribbean the new world and Europe in that and in a sense there was I'm reading where people are, and I cannot I don't remember the article and I cannot drop but you can probably search for it or if I if I put my finger on it uh, in the sometime from now I would probably let you know but the issue is when you delve into this you see where the society, where how society, how we how we create problems, how society create problems. But but in a sense, there are some people who, I, and I think if you read my book, Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance, and I I reference Fabrio, Fabrizio Eva, where they said that um, income inequality breeds riches in the world. Income in in some sense poverty. A, a, a society like the society we have requires um, in, uh, uh, people to be to, for there to be unevenness in the world. Inequality is ne- necessary in the world. Poverty is necessary in the world. 
okay? Say, for example, we talked in, in, in a previous article I write about and a previous paper that I submitted, and also in the book Neoliberalism, I, talked, I, I argued the point that talked about the importance of, 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 well, you know, actually the point I've left. But, we, but anyway, but we, the point I'm making that is the people have a tendency to want to believe that income inequality and poverty is necessary in society. Oh, I remember the point I was making. The point was this, the, the idea of the lumpen proletariats. I talk about the lumpen proletariat in neoliberalism in my book. I talk about lumpen proletariats when I was in Putin's speech in a, in a recent commentary. I talk about the lumpen proletariats, the lumpen proletariats. The lumpen proletariats are the people who the society have no use for. The society creates. They are the people who are in abject poverty. They are the people who live at the bottom of society, who society would need to draw upon when they, when they, are, when they need people to fight their wars and to do the certain things in society that certain people won't do, okay? The janitorial duties and, to, and so on and so forth. The society, so in a sense, society needs... So we, there is that argument that is there. Where, oh, so it's okay, the, uh, society is... And even if you look at the scriptures, we talk, there is this, this tendency to want to believe that it's okay to have slaves and so on and so forth. But it is this tendency that we that has been conditioned that we we have been conditioned we okay the tendency that we have to to think that it's okay to have privilege it's okay to think that somebody is better than the other person in society but the preservation and, and hegemony of the faith required a canon the preservation and hegemony of any faith and most faith, most religion in the world today, there is a canon. So I said, the, the preser but the preservation and hegemony of the faith required a canon given the competitive traditions of faith that was developing. And I'm going back to my article, I'm going back to the discussion, looking at, uh, looking at the foundations of the foundation of knowledge and the hegemony of faith. Because we had said that we had said that privilege and power and hegemony continues here, and no faith, when you examine their foundation, seem to be untouched by this prejudice and hegemony based on their positions. But the preservation and hegemony of the faith of any faith and of most faith required a canon or requires a canon, a canon given the competitive traditions of faith that was developing and the rise of the Roman Empire that posed threats to several peoples and where infightings among military leaders created a necessity for the Christian faith to solidify power blocks, to solidify power blocks within the Roman Empire. We're talking about the first 100 years of Christianity. We're talking about just, um, we're, just we're talking about when Rome, when Rome was king, when, when the Jews for Jesus was fight, was jostling and hustling for power with Jews not for Jesus. We're saying, we're saying that 
within the, the first hundred years of Christianity. The preservation and hegemony of faith required a canon given the, the competitive traditions of, of faith that was developing and the rise of the Roman Empire that posed threats to several peoples and were infightings among military leaders created a necessity for the Christian faith to solidify power, power blocks within the Roman Empire. Moreover, the philosophical preparation that enables one to attain true knowledge, which Plato speaks of and later developed in his Republic, whereby the philosopher leads all into this truth, is taken up by the fathers of the patristic and medieval traditions and morphed into the glorification of the people or glorification of the Pope, the papacy, and their religious piety. Again, let me repeat this. Moreover, the philosophical preparation that enables one to attain true knowledge, which Plato speaks of and later developed in his Republic, where the, where the philosopher leads all into his truth, is taken up by the fathers of the patristic and medieval traditions and morphed and morphed into the glorification of the Pope, the papacy, and their religious piety. We will explore this in a book, project, and final essay entitled The Development of Power, Privilege, Position, and Status Within the Foundations of Historical Literature and Divine Intervention. So, this brings us to the next topic because as we continue to talk about the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith, privilege and position, I also, we also have to delve into what is Orientalism and Occidentalism because I believe in two or three previous episodes of our podcast we had when we talk about Putin speech we referenced the issue of occidentalism and orientalism we talked about ethnocentrism in other words when we, what is ethnocentrism when we okay because when we talk about position and privilege and human prejudice when, you, when we talk about that you cannot, you cannot not talk about ethnocentrism. You cannot not talk about Orientalism and Occidentalism. Because it is part of the whole concept of human prejudice or formu formulate that whole, it formulates human prejudices in the world or it, is, it formulates this part of the privilege or position. Because it also involves suspicions that people have about each other. Suspicions that people have about each other. And some of these suspicions are based on values that people have about reality based on their own experiences which they now are imposing on others as they engage them as we engage each other when we engage each other so when so we so we have to delve into the concept of orientalism and occidentalism we have to delve into the concept of ethnocentrism because we are basing our values 
on in terms of how we and how we see you. And then Putin believes that the West is ethnocentric. The, Putin believes the West believes it, it is of a higher caste. Already this kind of suspicions in terms of the belief that people have. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss or we're going to answer the question or explore in brief what is Orientalism and Occidentalism. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Neoliberal Round Podcast. We are discussing, and we are continuing with the discussions for today, we are discussing the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith, privilege and position. And now, we turn to the next subtitle for today, what is Orientalism and what is Occidentalism in brief? Let's begin with Orientalism. Orientalism is the stripping away of a subgroup's humanity. Orientalism is the stripping away of a subgroup's humanity. Orientalism is Western views about the East, which privileges the West over the East. That then leads to certain actions that justify and further diminish Western aggression and actions. This has led to Occidentalism, which is Eastern views about the West, that has led to Eastern aggressions on the West, which is justified in Occidentalism, and that's an aggression such as the 9-11 attack, Pearl Harbor, and possibly when we study the history of Eastern aggressions such as the Muslim wars. In fact, wars and conflicts opine in Homer's and Hesiod's poems, and those we see in Greek, German, Eastern, and Biblical myths may be the views held by a subgroup of people about another, Occidental or Oriental. Simply put, while in Orientalism the West dehumanizes the other, in Occidentalism, the East reduces the West to soulless creatures who challenges and opposes God. Again, let, let me repeat that again. I said, simply put, while in Orientalism, the West, we in the West, dehumanize the other. In Occidentalism, the East reduces the West to soulless creatures. They say we are irreligious. Who 
uh, creatures who challenge and oppose God. They say we challenge and we oppose God. So that's what Eastern people, you know, the, the people in the East. And, you, you know, that's, you have the 9-11 attack. We are soulless. In fact, one may refer to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, 46, where in ancient times, men have sought to challenge God with their secular edifice, but was punished when God had his revenge by creating several languages and scattering peoples all over the world. And you can refer to Ian Baruma and Avishai Margalit in their book, Occidentalism, The West and the Eyes of Its Enemies, 2004, pages 16 to 17. Now, indeed, to, for us to understand the Orientalist position, one may need to look at Occidentalism, which is, which is the views of the East about the West. Now, according to Ian Baruma and Avishai Margalit in their work, Occidentalism, The West and the Eyes of Its Enemies, Occidentalism is at least reductive. Its bigotry simply turns the Orientalist view upside down. The view of, of the West in Occidentalism is like the worst aspect of its counterpart. Orientalism, which strips its human targets of their humanity. Some Orientalist prejudice, some Orientalist prejudices made non-Western people seem less than fully adult human beings. They had the minds of children and could thus be treated as lesser breeds. In effect, Ian and others argue that Orientalism and Occidentalism are merely prejudices which are human, but that when these prejudices dehumanize humanity, that results into revolutionary force. It leads to the destruction of human beings, such as Rome over the Jews and the Greeks and the Achaeans over the Trojans, World War I and II, the massacre of Jews by Germans, slavery, the Crusades, the 9-11 attacks, Pearl Harbor, and countless more, countless more wars on and on. Moreover, moreover, not only do we see wars and conflict, but but when we read Edward Said's Orientalist, he, he, he makes the case that Orientalism strip, strips the East, such as Egypt, from their intellectualism or ability to think or create. According to Balfour in Orientalism, Egyptians do not have a sense of the nation or country, and they are like all Eastern nations and peoples who must be lumped into one, and that only the English knows what is best for the Egyptians or the Orientalist. Now, Balfour, in his argument to Parliament about why the English is in Egypt and points to a created fact that Egyptians have always been under some rule or is always conquered. Never in its history has there been any self-government. He knows Egypt's is history, which is not better than his own and tries to fix their history by giving the Egyptians a British way of life through force and occupation. According to Edward Said, in outlining the Orientalism by, by presenting Balfour's rhetoric to the British Crusade Choir, highlights that England knows Egypt. Egypt is what England knows. Egypt is ignorant of this knowledge, 
so a dominant race of English must remain in place as the authority, and if this is challenged by Egypt, then English prestige suffers. As if as if as if to say that the English is better than the Egyptians. Now I'm here I'm here lifting up a uh, a uh, 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 a particular particular um a particular uh, 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 writing or material that which I which I discovered some time ago where if you read Cromer and Balmore but uh, who were given presentations about uh, to, to parliament in Britain while while they had occupied Egypt had provided a case to parliament as to why they should continue occupying Egypt during 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 the colonial days when Egypt was 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 under rulership. So Cromer had pointed out that Balfour, in his address to, to Parliament, describing the people of the Orient as unreasonable, not precise, not exact, limited, illogical, lacking the skill to cross-examine and is all over the place. He goes further saying that the Arabs are gullible, devoid of energy, cunning, unkind to animal, is disorderly. And you can see Edward Said Orientalism, pages 38 to 39, or you, or you can, uh, or it's, or uh, which, and some of the information I accessed via Georgetown University's Canvas site on October 2021. But essentially, Edward Said makes the point that Orientalism privileges itself over another culture. And even if that culture or subgroup of people have any positive outcome, that is, then that is of its own credit. It is explained as a result of Western penetration or an outcome from without that is within itself limited. In effect, in, effect, in Orientalism, the West accuses the East of being, of being ignorant of its own history or intellectually limited and this is based on the limitations of the West in using its own values and privilege to judge another's, which is at best ethnocentrism. Thank you so much for listening to, for joining in to another episode, to another round of the, to another episode of the Neoliberal Round podcast. I am so encouraged by all your support. Thank you for sharing this program and for your feedback. And I hope that you continue to follow us and tune in for our next show. We will, as I said, we will be, we will be having some interviews with uh, some people who we want to hear their perspective. And we, we want to see how, what they're saying. And just so you know, we, we will be on uh, live on Germantown Radio in Philadelphia, 92.9. And they also have a pod, they also have a, 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 an online presence. So you could download their app on Apple or you can go on their online program and you will be able to get that done. Okay. So just so you, and just so you know, guys, you can get access to that. And just so you know the neoliberalism book signing neoliberalism neoliberalism book signing is on saturday at eight o'clock to 12 noon and then of course 
the reading, the book reading starts at 12 noon at Germantown Expresso Bar, right at, 20, at 26 Marplewood Mall, right between Germantown Avenue and um, Green Street, right on Mar- right on Armat Street. So, thank you so much, and do send us your feedback, and we appreciate all your support, and you can donate to the show by overing over the donate page. Thank you so much, and have a good day.